1: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not
0: necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf.
0: Hi, and welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf, your host, and today I'm joined by James Brenza. Um, James is the Vice President of Data and Analytics Practice at Pillar Technologies, where he's expanded their analytics practice to embrace big data, predictive analytics, and rich, rich visualization trends. And James is going to tell you what a visualization trend is. <laughs> um, additionally, James is an advisory board member and Chief Data Officer for In Excite Health. I want this Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders to help you prepare for the changes we're facing. So if you think back to our first show, Leadership 2050, where Susan Cannon talked about the trends that we'll be seeing in the next 30 or so years, and specifically focusing on what the leaders need to do to help them and the organizations be successful in managing some of this transition. In addition to sharing models in our experience, I invite you to find one or two things out of each weekly segment that you can put in practice in your leadership. And specifically, this is an experimentation practice, right? So you'll hear ideas and topics that seem interesting, and some of them will apply to your work and some won't. So what I encourage you to do is just treat it like a a science experiment and Practice a new behavior with people you trust to give you honest feedback. See how it goes, and if it doesn't work, ditch it. If it works, make it a permanent practice. And we talk about the idea of innovating how you lead. So this is the innovation part, that on a regular basis, you find areas to update your leadership practice just like you would update your mobile device or your technology or your golf swing. So if, if you're updating your golf swing with more regularity than your leadership practices and you're not a golf pro, you're, you're probably misplacing some of your energy. James is laughing at me. <laughs> not right a golf
2: knowledge.
0: pro. <laughs> <laughs> so, so again, the invitation is just as leaders, it is absolutely imperative that we're updating how we do what we do because the world around us is changing very quickly. So again, analytics is a hot topic in many different organizations. It can be a significant differentiator for organization and success when it's implemented in alignment with strategic goals and when it's done by leaders who are skilled enough to navigate the volume of change this creates. And James will talk about exactly how much change implementing analytics projects can be because it is well beyond um, a technology change that just produces more data, it changes, if it's done well, the behavior of most segments of the organization. And that's where the leadership piece comes in. How do we keep the organization running, um, deliver the, the ongoing exceptional service we're trying to deliver, and at the same time, change how we're doing much of what we're doing? If it's done poorly, it can waste precious time money and disengage our valuable employees who are producing great services for our clients. So I want James to share a bit more about his experience and his background. And the reason I chose James for the show is we've worked together before. I have a really high regard for his business acumen, technical acumen, and his ability to move projects forward. And one of the things James is known for is as a uh, technologist, he can connect the tech, the reason for what he's doing back to business goals and really drive organizational performance rather than technology change. And, and that's a rare quality in a technologist. So we wrote together the Innovative Leadership Workbook for Implementing Analytics Programs. So James is going to tell you a little bit about himself, and then we're going to go into specifics about anal- analytics.
2: Thanks, Maureen. It's great to be here today. I enjoy spending time with you all the time and it's especially interesting we get to talk more about leadership. Let me go just briefly over my background because I think it has a big part of my story as far as how I approach analytics. So I started out as a true technologist, application development um, in the financial services sector and insurance. I then moved over to BMW where I was doing work globally and I actually moved out of pure technology and into business integration. And one of the reasons to me that that is so key is it speaks to my focus on not just do the technology or get the technical bits written and implemented, but how do you make sure they get ingrained into business processes to really make a difference. I also spent seven years with GE, where I got my Six Sigma black belt, and that's actually I started delving into what we now call data science. So shortly after nine eleven. I was actually working with a small team of people analyzing all of the flights globally for the next year to understand which plane segments weren't going to be running, what jet engines weren't going to be used, and then what's the impact on parts and service. So using data science a year out to actually start pulling out parts out of the development process to save millions of dollars. I also spent some time with Kroger, a large national grocery retail chain. They're in excess of 30 states in the U.S thousands upon thousands of stores where I got accustomed to making sure every single item that across every single register whether it's a a grocery item or a coupon was analyzed by 8 a.m. the next morning had the opportunity to spend some time at IBM as well leading large analytic teams and in that instance it was just a tremendous experience because we led people and the clients from having virtually no information at all on their transactional basis and pulling through hundreds of millions of transactions all the way through to predictive analytics, um, where they're missing their profit opportunities, and all the way up to executive dashboards. With visual elements, that could tell the executives in an instant what point they're missing. And then on to Ohio State University, where I was a chief data officer, and really helped them reset what's going on with their data warehousing and analytics and then presently with Pillar Technology, and as you mentioned, advisory board member for Insight Health. Uh, Pillar Technology, we've had just some fantastic successes just in the past few months. It's been an amazing journey with that team and for our clients as well, but we'll get into some of those as examples later on. So that's my broad background <laughs> and how I ended up going from a technologist to a business integration guy into analytics and then that focus now on leadership to make sure all of those elements always come together for all the different initiatives I'm on.
0: And for people in the audience, one of the things James and I talk about most often uh, when we get a cup of coffee is the leaders on projects he's working with and specifically which ones are exceptional and how do we learn from them and um, support those who uh, have some opportunities for development. So James, a question for you. Analytics seems incredibly technical and elusive to many organizations. Is the secret to success uh, typically leadership, technology, or some combination of the two?
2: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that question up because my observation, having seen multiple engagements and led multiple engagements, and I learned more by watching many times and speaking to my peers at conferences, it's really the intersection of the two. I have seen tremendous technology stacks become an utter failure as far as business results. And I don't mean it in a harsh way, but many times I pin that back on the leadership team that's endorsing it, whether it's the actual leaders in the seats on the team or the executive team trying to champion them to help them get to the results. Conversely, I have seen fantastic leaders, tremendous vision, know how to organize their team and motivate their team, and yet their analytics initiative never seemed to leave the launch pad because of technical barriers. So there is some minimal technical threshold you need to address to have a successful technology or analytics initiative, but even with the mediocre technology, when combined with good, solid leadership, the results can be absolutely stellar. So it's the intersection of the two. Without either one being at least to some mediocre level, you will have no success. More often than not, it's the leadership is what I've been observing that's causing the problem. Great technologies are available now. People spending millions of dollars on their technology stacks. But without the strong leadership, it's just Mm -hmm. not leaving a launch pad. So
0: so then it's safe to say that if I go to a strong consulting firm, that I am likely to get a, a decent technology solution. And really beyond that, I need to focus my extra effort on my own leadership.
2: Absolutely. You can rent a strong leader. I I refer to it as renting (laughs) from a consulting firm. You can rent a strong leader, but you have to raise your own bar. Mm -hmm. So at some point you can rely on them, but then you also need to take the training wheels off and develop Mm -hmm. your own internal leadership. Unless you plan on spending hundreds of thousands of dollars per resource per year to continue to rent them. Mm -hmm. um, that's really non-scalable is the reality. So, yes, you do need to focus on growing your own leadership traits on your team. So
0: actually, there's an interesting small research study, but a research study by Bill Torbert uh, from Boston College, looking at the ability of leaders to transform organizations. And what they talked about is... Those leaders who test as um, strategists and, and for people who are readers of business books, uh, Jim Collins' seminal book, Good to Great, referred to this as level five leaders. So, so those organizations with level five leaders, either internal or rented, were able to successively implement multiple transformations, and and the success was measured by the standard measures of profit, return on investment, um, customer satisfaction, employee retention. Those organizations that did not have level five leaders either remained the same, and some actually got worse during and after the transformation. So there's a strong case, if that study scales, that having leaders at that developmental level, either within the organization or external rented or in an advisory capacity. So it doesn't have to be the person running the project or program necessarily, but they have to be in a strong advisory capacity to the person running the program. The probability of success goes up dramatically. And when we think about some of these, the cost of some of these programs, they're hundreds of millions of dollars. Easily, <laughs> right? So, so making this investment, the ROI for doing it versus not doing it is dramatic. I came out of a large consulting firm, and we had a project that um, didn't fail because of leadership. The company was acquired, and it was shelved. Uh, that was a three hundred million dollar project that that turned into no value as it was parked. So, so we do see those major investments set aside for various reasons. The shame is when it's poor leadership that causes that kind of loss of money. So um, how do you see outcomes varying based on leadership capabilities? So we've talked about some some succeed and some fail. Can you give a little more information on that?
2: Well, let me turn that back to you first because anytime we sit down and talk about leadership levels, you always have the advantage on me because I don't memorize the list as well as you do. (laughs) So why don't you give all of us just a quick overview on the different leadership mm-hmm, levels? Mm-hmm. And if you could, maybe try to put some emphasis on the general percentage of population. Sure. Because I'm going to tie that back to my answer to you then.
0: Okay. And for those people who actually want to look at the list, uh, it is published on my website, Metcalf and Associates, under free publications. So, so you can uh, have access to the content without having to go buy a book. And certainly if you would like to buy a book, that would be great too. Um, so I'll talk about the six levels that we see most often in an organizational context. The first is the diplomat, and about 12% of managers are at that level. And um, the, this framework was, that I'm using was created by Suzanne Cook-Groeder in conjunction with uh, several other... Uh, exceptional researchers, and the the numbers, the percentages come from Bill Torbert's work published in Harvard Business Review. So, one thing that is important to me is that as I reference models and frameworks, that they're highly statistically validated, and this is one that um, comes from Suzanne's doctoral dissertation. So highly uh, at at Harvard. So highly. Researched and validated, and I say that because we can all make stuff up, and using information like this that is not well researched can do damage to our organization. So, so it, it I think, from an ethical perspective, it's important to use frameworks like this that that are um, tested. So diplomat is the first one. The the diplomat, if we think of each of these levels talking about our development, it's an extension of childhood development into adult development applied to leadership, it it really looks at the complexity of our thinking, our emotional intelligence, and our behavior, the combination of those two, and and things like my time horizon. So a diplomat, we would really think about high school person maybe someone who just hasn't developed yet the internal thought complexities and we've also learned from neuroscience that that until about 25 for some people our brains aren't fully developed so it is reasonable that the diplomats thinking process would not yet be fully developed so they're incredibly concrete in their thinking their their primary concern is social acceptance Then we go to the expert, and I'm going to go through this uh, rather quickly, uh, realizing that we could spend days uh, learning the nuances of it. The expert is about 38% of the population, leadership population, black and white, right and wrong, basic abstract thinking, but still fairly concrete. They're uh, worried about getting it right. So these are people that can appear to be micromanagers, Uh, There's one way to do it. It's they've figured it out. They want to be right. They aren't open to a lot of feedback or variation. When things don't go, quote, right, they're often struggling with how to respond. The next level, and their time horizon is about three months, three months to a year. So they're working on shorter term projects most effectively. And they tend to think in terms of task. The achiever is the next one. They're about 30% of the population. And this is really where most executives fall. Uh, They have an ability to see shades of gray. Their primary focus is on cause and effect, achievement, and effectiveness. This is, I get stuff done. That's my way of seeing myself. I have a time horizon of about five years, and I I am beginning to understand how others contribute, and and appreciate differences. So those are the, the levels that are considered conventional. Now we're going to go quickly into the post-conventional levels. The first one is individualist. It's where I start becoming far more innovative. I have an increased capacity for complexity, an ability to appreciate paradoxes, I start to appreciate intuition and I become a lot more self-aware and emotionally aware. So I become almost militantly focused on feedback and and self-improvement. And I think that's one of the key differentiators where at the expert level I'm I am focused on getting it right. At the individualist level I really want to be more effective. So I am continually looking to improve my time horizon is five to ten years and and at this level we tend to move into the uh, consultant role more change agent role and because this is post-conventional I am much more open to trying new ways of doing things and and tend to uh, reject some of the rules that I tended to govern my behavior early in life And then the last one we'll talk about here is the strategist. And this is the level that we talk about being most effective at transforming complex organizations. This is what Jim Collins in Good to Great called um, level five leader. Um, they perceive systematic patterns and long-term trends with uncanny clarity. These people can seem to to almost see through walls. Their, their ability to see things before other people do is exceptional. Um, they can differentiate between opinion and fact. They exhibit a strong focus again on self-development and authenticity. They are again continually looking at um learning and measuring the project based on the vision of the organization so at this point the the individual is purpose driven and their work is project driven so so their kind of north star for everything they do is their internal sense of purpose and the organization's mission vision purpose so so they just naturally bring projects back to what are we intending to do rather than working through the the task list and the milestones which can get us off focus so that's the differentiator between the achiever who's driving to complete the plan success matters primarily for the strategist it's delivering value is the commitment and they're willing to do a lot of course corrections they're much more creative in their ability to find solutions uh, again they tend to gravitate toward these change agent and consultant roles and portfolio roles and their time horizon is 15 to 20 years they're also concerned with the legacy they leave so so at this level and this is the kind of leadership again required to successfully transform large organizations as james said you can rent them you don't have to be one Uh, we believe that they they can be developed but uh, not without uh, an investment of effort and continual focus and and so as we talk about experimenting with new behaviors that's something a strategist does on a regular basis just as as i mentioned the golf swing a good golfer is continually looking to improve a good lead, a good strategist leader it is just part of their repertoire. Is what do I do differently, and how do I become more effective? So we we are encouraging you through this show to practice that kind of strategist behavior in safe places. Uh, In no way do I suggest that you uh, stand up in front of your organization to pilot a new idea that you've not tested. So we're going to go to break now. This is uh, Maureen Metcalf and James Brenza. And we're talking about analytics on the show Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you.
1: Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
0: Hi, and welcome back to Voice America Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're listening to Maureen Metcalf and James Brenza talk about implementing analytics programs. We just went through the developmental levels, and I realized that I didn't give percentages for individualist is about 10%, and the strategist is 4%. There are levels above strategists. They're about 1% of the population, and they're generally not focused on business organizations. So I would say if you want to think about who that might be, it would be someone like the Dalai Lama. So for the purpose of this discussion, uh, while I personally find him very interesting, not as a business leader. So let's turn back to James and talk about how do these, in your experience, how do these levels impact the organization's ability to successfully implement?
2: So the key list you went through, and I'm just going to go over them just ever so briefly again uh, from before the break. So the diplomat who focuses predominantly on concrete thinking is 12%. The expert who demonstrates basic abstract thinking is 38% of the population. The achiever with a basic ability to identify shades of gray is 30%. The individualist now has an increased capacity for advanced complex thinking is about 10%, and the strategist who really perceives uh, systematic patterns and long-term trends is only 4% of the population. You introduced this framework to me a couple of years ago, and now that I've been working with it a little bit and working through multiple engagements, I'm really starting to see how these pan out. So the original question is, how do I see these levels um, pan out to leadership capabilities and results? So one of the first ones I see where these play out is really just purely in execution. Um, I'm all about execution. As many people who know <laughs> me go back to it's about that, get those results done. <laughs> Perhaps GE taught me that. Yes. Yeah. Now, also as a consummate consultant, I try to avoid mentioning names at all times. It's not okay. fair to the companies we help and some of the companies are a bit shy about some of the results. So I always avoid company names, but I'll give as many details as I can. And one of the first ones around this execution mode, is aligning with strong, engaged leadership. In one instance, I worked with a broad team, and they did just spectacular results. It was a fully engaged leadership team, uh, director level up to vice president, sat down with the team on a weekly basis, and dug through as much detail as they needed to, but not in a command and control style. They were more interested in what can they do to enable the results for this team. They were focused on that long-term outcome and removing any barriers, whether it's just an immediate shortage on resources, be it um, systems or people, all the way up through that long-term goal. And they ended up delivering multi-hundred percent return on investment, just because they were so focused on that long-term objective. As a complete contrast to that, I've been with organizations or witnessed organizations that the leadership team could not even let an initiative get off the launch pad. When the opportunity would come up, they would sit about it, talk in grand circles, and every single time, kick it back to the next week meeting to talk about it for another hour to reach complete indecision. (laughs) They're not empowering the team. They're not letting loose any of the reins whatsoever, nor did they have the expertise themselves to execute. So just through their own style they could not start seeing the long-term patterns, they could not understand how these solutions could be applied, and it just literally never left the launch pad, never left the conference room discussion after a few months. It was just crazy by my estimation. The other leadership style I see really coming down that creates a ton of problems, and this is very particular to analytics, is the command and control, the top-down leadership. You have an executive or a leadership team and they have all of the answers. They know the patterns, they know the processes, they know the technologies better than anybody else, and they know how it needs to apply to their business. Now, many leaders do have great vision, and they do have that kind of command of details, but it becomes the command and control leadership style. That, you know, if you just do what I tell you to do, we would have spectacular results. (laughs) What you start understanding, courtesy of the framework you've shared with me, is a lot of those leaders actually tend to be achievers and experts they're not the visionaries they're not the strategists. they're not looking further out on the horizon to help people actually succeed and what i find really disappointing many times is they're also not developing their own internal leaders their idea many times of developing leaders is make people more like me they have to be the achiever they have to be the expert rather than being the person who's more motivational looking for the patterns looking for the long-term trends An example of that, there's a couple of initiatives that have been engaged on just recently. One of those initiatives took a modest six-figure investment for resources and delivered results that are measured in tens of millions of dollars. It is literally a return on investment at the end of one year that's going to exceed 10,000% return on investment. Just a spectacular result set an all-time high Mm -hmm. uh, for any project I've ever been involved with at all. A competing uh, competing effort I'm, I'm also seeing right now It's a team who, again, can't leave the launch pad. They have grand visions, but it's all wrapped around a very command and control leadership team. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the executive team are all very much command and control. And until they know exactly how it's going to come together, they will not let anything happen. The other team was very strongly engaged for the 10,000% return mm-hmm. on investment. The leadership team, the executive leadership, was involved on a weekly basis.
0: So let me just clarify then. The, the command and control team and the, the successful team, both heavily engaged. So one's not abdicating. They're both actively participating. It's just the kind of participation in the command and control team.
2: It's a question of are you empowering on mm-hmm. a weekly basis or are you choking it on a weekly basis because it doesn't fit your mold? Your mold may have been great 5, 10, 15 years ago, but that's not the mold that's going to be successful in the future. Mm -hmm. And also the technologies have changed so dramatically for analytics. You have to be open to realizing that you don't necessarily have the perfect answer. And you need to empower the team to go find the answer Mm -hmm. for you and check the results. Kind of set the boundaries Mm -hmm. and empower the team to work within the boundaries. Another area where I've seen results fall flat is around product and service innovation. This becomes really interesting. There is a organization who was trying to spin off a different group to move into a whole software controlled side of the industry versus hardware. And their executive team literally could not let go at all. They would try to empower a team to get started on the process. And no sooner would that team get started and be empowered for two to three months to come back, report out on their progress, and talk about their plan to move forward The executive team completely shut them down. Every single time they came forward, it wasn't fitting a mold of what they thought would be successful, and they killed it. And then they recreated the team for the next two to three months to try it again. They would come back with something different, didn't fit the mold, kill it, let's try again. They eventually just completely gave up, just because it couldn't fit the mold, they couldn't empower the team. I I favor more setting the boundaries, Mm -hmm. define the limits of what the box Mm -hmm. the team can play in. Empower them and then check more based on results realizing it takes a little bit of time to deliver Mm -hmm. firm financial results But it can be done
0: and picking people on the team that you trust and know can deliver
2: Absolutely, you know another key example in this product innovation services um, group. I'm working with right now They're completely changing the approach to the industry. They have removed all the barriers the leadership team is very very inspirational they set a strong vision they set some bounds, and the bounds they're setting are actually fairly wide. Mm-hmm. So, anything within this reasonable range is mm-hmm. within your control. Go out and do what you have to do to get it done. They're all about leveraging the data and leveraging the analytics, and it's really just taking off incredibly fast In and matter of just a few months. These things can start happening, but again, it comes back to that leadership style are you setting the vision? Are you setting some of the limits? Mm -hmm. Are you then looking for the deeper processes Mm -hmm. and understanding how it's going to work within large ecosystems and then enabling the team to go complement that?
0: You know, as you take a breath, I think of Uber. And while I don't know their leadership team, I think of their use of technology and analytics and how it will completely change the entire industry of transportation, of getting a cab. And now they're they're actually using a similar algorithm for massage therapists that that people can rate the clients and massage therapists are now rejecting clients, just like Uber drivers are rejecting cab patrons mm-hmm. So it is interesting that through um, what would be seemingly an interesting algorithm, we're upending industries.
2: Oh, it's complete disruption. There's no doubt about that. And I think what's really becoming even more interesting is beyond just disrupting the normal service delivery of massage or cab fare, so on and so forth. They're now becoming data companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it recently became known that Uber now views themselves as more of a data company. That all of these fares, whether people have actually engaged the service, maybe they didn't because they didn't mm-hmm. like the price point or the uh, service window. mm mm-hmm. But they've captured that data for both the strong outcomes and the negative outcomes. They're now packaging up that data and understanding how it can upend into the entire industry. Many, many firms are realizing now how they can monetize their information mm-hmm. assets. Basically, how do you bundle up the data and dig deeper into it? Either sell it as analytics or bundle up, if you can blind it. Obviously, mm-hmm. you don't want to be selling mm-hmm. personal data. That would but some not companies be a good do. thing. Well, they do and they shouldn't. So <laughs> <laughs> there should be limits in there somewhere. But if you can blind it and look for mm-hmm. the deeper trends, okay. there's more value in your data many times to combine it with other data that's out in the industry. So whether you're looking at your own internal data and mm-hmm. information and then complementing it with external mm-hmm. data, what's happening in the rest of the market, or vice versa. Maybe you're, you're going to make your data that external source that mm-hmm. others can go leverage. There's more value there many times than just in your own internal operation.
0: And and so I'm going to ask a question, and the answer, maybe I'm off base, but Forrester and Gartner have been doing that for years, right?
2: They do a lot of the research. They don't necessarily have rich bundles of data that they bundle up and sell you as external sources to be continuously integrated. Okay. You'll see a lot of that actually in the healthcare industry, pharmaceuticals specifically. Um, There's a couple of sources where you can actually download all the scripts filled anywhere in the U.S. Hmm. It is completely blinded.
0: Okay. So I can't tell of what medicine you're taking?
2: Correct. But I can <laughs> tell you down to the zip code exactly what strength, what form, what product went to how many consumers and when.
0: So I could tell if there were areas in the country that are more inclined to um, have people with cancer. Absolutely. Interesting.
2: So and then you marry that up with external data, so census data, and that helps you understand then the broader population trends mm-hmm. relative to the pharmaceuticals that have been moving forward. So okay. it can absolutely happen.
0: So I could look at like the concentration of nuclear power plants and see if there's a correlation, mm-hmm. or any other number of potential sources of poor health. Correct. Interesting. Okay, I'm getting us off topic. But that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so how do different leadership development levels complement each other with analytics and how does the innovative leader respond? And as I'm asking a question, the the thing I want to make sure I am clear on is each of the developmental levels is critical to organizational effectiveness. So it's not that we want all strategists. In fact, um, having worked in uh, small groups of self-selected teams that are strategists and magicians, um, I wouldn't do that again. It, it really is important to have a range of people on the team. So, so it's. I realize I'm repeating myself, but it, it bears reemphasis that all levels are important for, especially a large organization, to function effectively.
2: Absolutely, and this was a hard part for me to first accept. Um, myself testing out the strategist level and typically working at that level. Of course, you'd feel great if you could surround yourself with a few more people at that level. <laughs> not saying everybody be like me, but bring a few not more into the though. team. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I started realizing as I looked at it, and you look at what really leads to a successful initiative, it is the balance. You really do need to have all roles represented. So let's take a couple of examples from the realm I typically work in. Uh, we'll talk about developing for analytics. So you're going to have to have software developers to help front all the data, get it prepared. I like to call it the land it, scrub it, and trust it. You have to understand the data, Mm -hmm. you've got to scrub it for quality, make sure you can trust it before you start performing Mm -hmm. analytics. That doesn't work well with a person who's looking for the trends five or ten years out. Mm -hmm. This takes a tremendous amount of concentration. It goes back really to an expert level, is the software developer, the typical level. Mm -hmm. Unless they're breaking all kinds of molds, the reality is if you need to get that data in, internalized, and ready for analysis in a matter of weeks, you need someone who's going to stay very, very focused. They have to understand the role of the right, if you will, but also measuring up to the right standards. So if the right standard is you have to have all the frequency distributions done on the data, that's the only person that can get it to that level of detail that quickly. Now, we're also highly dependent on architects. The architect is going to help you understand long-term how all of these pieces come together across an analytics initiative. An architect who's a diplomat. A people pleaser who just wants to give anybody whatever they want, that lower 14% of the population, or 12% of the population, if you will, they're not going to help you break the mold. They're not going to help you understand directionally where you should Mm -hmm. be heading in the future. You really need your architect to be an achiever, someone who's going to be focused on the conceptual complexity of what's happening Mm -hmm. and be able to make a strong recommendation and really put forth the backbone. If they come under fire for the Mm -hmm. strong recommendation, Mm -hmm. be prepared to support it. Mm -hmm. So again, you have to have those different levels. Your data scientist is really a fascinating role. Um, We used to call them statisticians, by the way, (laughs) until we merged them up with how to handle mass databases. Now your data scientists, they really perform best as individualists, people that can exhibit and appreciate the paradox. They can dive Mm -hmm. in deep, apply science where they need to to understand the trends. It can't really be an expert that could be successful in that role. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, they'd certainly be successful in just pure statistics. Mm -hmm. They could tell you all the p-values, tell you all the r-squareds, till they turn blue in the face and you keel over out of your chair and fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) But the reality is they need to tie it to that bigger picture and help you get to the bottom line. So again, it's that balance. Mm -hmm. You need the developer who typically is an expert. You need the architect who's an achiever. Um, Data scientists coming a little bit further up to the higher level leadership. But most importantly, your executive leaders really need to be the strategist or above level. Mm-hmm. They need to be prepared to set that vision, set those bounds, empower that team. Most importantly, understand who's missing on the team. Mm-hmm. If they're not seeing enough developers at the lower levels that understand exactly what to get done, as you know, determined by the architect and other team members, mm-hmm. if they're not empowered and focused on that execution, it simply isn't going to succeed mm-hmm. so maybe they're not going to have the cheat sheet that i have in front of me but the reality is the leader has to understand the significance of these different mm-hmm. roles mm-hmm. and start understanding what roles are filled or what leadership levels are filled and which ones aren't most importantly then just like your product plan is coming up with your people plans mm-hmm. how are you going to round out the rest of this team to ensure you will have success in the long run
0: hey and for lots of leaders they've not heard of these levels but they just do this intuitively, I assume.
2: Many of them do. Um, it has helped me tremendously to start becoming more mm-hmm. aware of these roles. Uh, maybe later on, I'll give you a little secret I've used to determine if you're having a problem with these roles or not. But it, doesn't, it certainly helps to become more focused on the what's missing on my team. Okay. Where's the imbalance? Cool. We're gonna go to
0: break now. Um, this is James Brenza and Maureen Metcalf. On the program Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and we're focusing on the success of analytics programs. Thank you.
1: Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit metcalf associates.com. You are listening to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at Metcalf-Associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
0: Hi, welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're listening to Maureen Metcalf with our guest, James Brenza. And we're talking about implementing analytics programs. And specifically, James is focusing on some of the leadership qualities that drive success and some that impede success. So what are some examples, James, of the leadership traits you see exhibited on analytics initiatives that cause them to be successful?
2: One of the first ones I've observed, and um, just recently in spades has been amazing, is situational awareness. We were working with an executive leader who, again, through weekly and daily engagement, could understand where the solution was going. Midway through was not seeing the results he wanted to see. But rather than crack on the team and go become all command and control, Mm -hmm. focused on that long-term vision, focused on, okay, so what's going wrong? Mm What can we do a little bit differently? Sticking to the vision, but altering the course of how we're trying to get to that destination. Being supportive of the team, and when there are any barriers at all across any other team, complete willingness to go engage with the other team. Openly admitted offline, I didn't understand much of the conversation you guys just had. But he understood his presence Mm -hmm. meant that he was heavily invested in the outcome. It enabled us to overcome some of the hurdles. And again, that's the one that got us to a Mm -hmm. 10,000% return on investment. And much of it was just due to that leader's strong commitment to the results and to the team, most importantly. Very committed to the team.
0: So one other thing I hear is uh, the ability and willingness to put himself in situations that are pretty uncomfortable.
2: Oh, very uncomfortable for him. Um, He had complete trust, though, that we could drive the conversation Mm -hmm. in the right direction to Mm -hmm. get to the outcome that the broader team needed Mm -hmm. to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he was very willing to go out as far as he needed to go out to make that happen. It was interesting on that when it goes back to some of our first parts of this conversation. They had some decent technology. Mm -hmm. Some of it was almost categorized as mediocre in that the results were stellar. So that's how, again, you can balance off poor technologies with strong leaders. Mm-hmm. The next area or next example where I see good, strong leadership and leadership traits would be self-awareness. This is huge. Um, this I've seen on engagements a few years ago where self-aware leaders are constantly testing the waters and understanding how they're being perceived and how other team members are being perceived. They're constantly looking for those reactions and experimenting and tweaking everything in their communication style where necessary. They're also adapting to the audience flawlessly. So if they're speaking to people on the board or the very uh, key people at the very top of the organization, it's a different leadership style Mm -hmm. than when they're speaking in a weekly meeting with their peers being directors. And certainly different if they're down in a daily or weekly meeting with developers. And yes, it's key. They're not even shy about attending meetings with developers. Many people shy away Mm -hmm. from getting that involved or being seen to that degree.
0: So this connects back then to our leadership levels that as, as that highly effective and self-aware leader, I tailor my message to the developmental level as well as the organizational
2: level of the person with whom I'm speaking. Absolutely. Okay. But then also purposefully seek feedback. Mm-hmm. Reach out, get a trusted advisor, get a mentor or pull some team members aside and develop a trusting relationship with them and constantly seek feedback on what you can do a little bit differently what can you do is gonna be a little bit more effective to help raise the outcome across the board and again the outcome can be the results or maybe the outcome is leadership development of other people
0: mm-hmm. and those are critical
2: absolutely another area then is motivation uh, a good strong leader is going to be focused on the team's energy level Teams go under a tremendous amount of pressure, especially in analytics, because frequently the results themselves don't come till the very back end of the project. There's so much Mm -hmm. preparatory work. Um, The statisticians are building hundreds of models many times that mostly don't pan out. Mm -hmm. So you have to have this strong sense of patience, Mm -hmm. but also continuously motivate them. You have to continue to beef up the team energy level. Be prepared to tell the team it's time to take a break. Uh, we used to go out go-karting. It's one of my favorite activities. We'll go out go-karting with the entire team.
0: Like bumper cars? Like we get to run into each other?
2: If you go too slow, yes, you'll get bumped into <laughs> um, We've played laser tag with teams. Um, I did put down the request for paintball. I for that sense, I would probably give away more bruises than anybody else. But again, focusing <laughs> on energy level to understand what you can do to help keep the entire team focused moving forward. Some people will freak out. The results aren't coming in the way you want. How dare you take a couple of hours of productive time and mm-hmm. go do something frivolous? Yeah. But the reality is it's necessary to give the teams room to, room to breathe mm-hmm. um, a little bit mm-hmm. of time away. And it also builds a stronger network within the team as well. So it's absolutely vital to actually take time to do that. And then the last element is focus on others over yourself. This is a huge challenge. So many leaders at the top of the organization. Let's mm-hmm. face it; they're still developing their own career trajectory. Mm-hmm. They're more focused on, "Is my boss going to perceive me as being effective at leading this?" Mm-hmm. And the boss, many times, is not actually measuring the team morale. Um, they're just measuring the outcome: Have mm-hmm. you achieved what we wanted, what we set forth to do? So focusing on others over yourself is absolutely vital to both, again, maintaining the team, but also mm-hmm. the trajectory. This gets back to sometimes pulling yourself down off that pedestal a little bit. Give other people credit. Mm -hmm. In the bigger picture, if it's successful, you will be successful. So share the credit along the way so other people can help come up that bar in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. And those are all characteristics associated with the strategist leader, by the way. Yes,
2: Yes. it's very difficult to get an expert to back off and give somebody else credit. It just doesn't happen typically.
0: Well, the other is the expert isn't seeking continual feedback. It's not
2: not where they are. Well, they get their feedback via clearly defined rules. So experts test themselves against documented standards. Mm -hmm. So if it says I have to produce bug-free code and it has to execute within two minutes, you're going to get bug-free code and it's going to execute within two minutes. Now it might be working towards the right, or pardon me, towards the wrong long-term solution. But
0: it'll work within two minutes.
2: <laughs> it's very <laughs> black and white for them; okay. they're not comfortable with gray areas.
0: So, what's the biggest warning sign um, that lets you know there's a potential leadership problem?
2: So, after you shared the original matrix with me on the different leadership levels, yeah. and after I started studying that more, and even today I've had to pull up the cheat sheet mm-hmm. to remember what they are in great detail. But you start becoming more aware of them more intuitively. But one of the biggest things I've done to try to bring myself up over this curve is the focus on who's missing. And many times, if you're talking to an executive and you're trying to speak to what levels are being represented or how their team is progressing overall, if they are closed-minded, to even trying to understand what some of these levels are, if they're closed-minded to even having themselves assessed to see where they fall on the scale or the continuum, Mm Um, and if they're not willing to put their own leaders through some kind of an assessment and then a discussion afterwards so we can all understand what each one of us is bringing to the table, you've got a major problem. So really the litmus test I've been using is are they just fundamentally closed-minded to even looking at any of these kind of materials and understanding mm-hmm. it? And then most importantly, the, the most recent asset test I've been using Is if when you talk about training and they just view it as kind of a woo-woo type retreat We'll Mm -hmm. go out and sing Mm -hmm. kumbaya in a circle around the fire Mm -hmm. and they're immediately close-minded to it That tells me they're not getting it. Mm -hmm. They're not really interested in how they're going to move forward So I would have to say as an executive leader if you've had these kinds of problems or your teams have encountered challenges And if your answer is well, geez, if you guys just be more like me, we wouldn't have these problems (laughs) You're actually a big part of the problem (laughs) Thank
0: you Any other final words before we wrap up?
2: Buy the book? Buy the book. (laughs) There is tremendous material in here because it does speak to Mm -hmm. these development levels. The section one of the book is all about leadership development. Section two is all about how do you apply those leadership development traits and patterns to a seven-step process we've laid out. So and what do you tell us honestly, what I've seen is. most engagements fall apart on the very first step of the process. The first step is really making sure everybody's engaged um, on that shared vision and a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Again, is that lack of urgency will not even let you get off the launch pad. After you have a shared vision sense of urgency, you need to build your team. Many times that means who's not a part of your team. Then you analyze the situational strengths of the whole team and the operation you're working towards and then plan your journey. Plan how to move forward in a flexible way. The communication is the fifth step, so you have to have an ongoing communication plan, both up and down, and then implement and measure the results, and then eventually you embed the transformation for the, the long-term solution across the market.
0: Cool, thank you, and, and James is the co-author of this book. Um, what he didn't say in the description is he, um, he is talking about using an agile development methodology so that is a differentiator and much of the book is really it's called a workbook because it's full of processes and templates and examples and James draws a case study throughout the, the entire workbook so that as you're going through this you can see how he implemented Each step of the process, and it also gives his internal thought process, so you can hear his or read his thinking as well as his actions, and that's one of the things I found most valuable about this: is you're kind of hearing the inner thought process of a strategist leader, and most often we don't get to see that or hear it because they are only, depending on the data, two to four percent of the population, and we don't get to to understand what they're thinking and how they see things. So I think this is an invaluable um, tool if you are implementing analytics pro- projects. So thank you for joining in this Voice America show, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I hope you found the, the conversation helpful and found something to take away from your leadership journey. I, I do realize this was incredibly content-rich. Um, without the books and things in front of you, it's, it's tough to take as much away as I would hope you would. Certainly on the website, the Metcalf and Associates website, there is a wealth of information. Uh, Much of it is free. My intent is to make all of this accessible to a broad range of the population. It's not necessarily bedtime reading or beach reading, so it may not be that accessible, but it is free. So I do want to hear your feedback on how you've applied any of these ideas. Please email me at info at metcalf-associates.com, and I may be able to read some of your messages on air in the future. Certainly what I would love to hear is if you're doing experiments, tell me what they are and how they worked. Um, Our guests certainly love the feedback, and appreciate hearing how what they're doing and sharing is impacting you in your work. So consider the impact innovative leadership makes in the world. Imagine what you can do to improve yourself and help others as you make significant changes in the world. Today's your opportunity to consider your own ability to function as an innovative leader and identify those experiments that will allow you to continually improve your ability to lead, and the impact you make. Thank you.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.